Good morning. Okay. It's a little lackluster. Just want to say. Good morning. Good morning. I'm trying to wake myself up here and I need your help. No, um, it's good to see your smiling faces this morning. I'm glad to be here. I hope you are too. I'm going to uh, read the text and then I'll go back through it very slowly, but I want to read the whole thing here. And and in the uh, in your bulletin, it says I'm starting in verse 20, does it not? Yeah, I'm going to go back to verse 11 and, and read from there. And then I'll read the rest. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, you know what that means. When Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, whenever Luke says that, he's pointing out that the cross is on the horizon. Right? He's going to Jerusalem. There's problems are coming. He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria, and he entered the village. Ten lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as, he w- as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Why? Just, just a little aside here. Why show yourselves to the priests? So the priests will know there's healing in the land. It's part of the visitation of, of God is that people will be healed. And the priests have a ritual for the healing of, a le- of leprosy that they never get to use. And so go go tell the, they're going to have to get out their rule book and sh- see how to do it because it's so unusual. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking Jesus for what he had done. The man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Did I, didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine? Has only one returned to give glory to God? and he is a foreigner. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. At that, the Pharisees, or one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Now, I like the message here for the one thing, for the one way it starts this section, it says, and the Pharisees one day were grilling Jesus. The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or over there, it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or he's over there. But don't go and follow them, for as lightning flashes, and lights up the whole sky from one end to the other, so it will be on that day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, it won't be like it was in Noah's day. It will be like it was in Noah's day, sorry. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went on their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. And then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven as usual. Right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack 
a person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you will let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 37. Verse 37 is not in all the manuscripts. It's a little bit um, one of these obscure things. Just need to say that. But it is the left hook to this passage. And so it's here for a reason. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Just as the gathering of vultures show there is a carcass nearby, so these signs will indicate the end is near. Um, have, have any of you ever been at work and you sort of got down a rabbit hole at work and you kind of got dislodged from the main purpose and suddenly you're in this minor point and it's taking all your time and the project's not getting done because you're off in left field? Has that ever happened to anybody? I see all the time. I see all this. (laughs) I've got a lady that comes in every Tuesday morning. She asked me if I could have a long-running spiritual discussion with her. She's a Christian from another church, but she had seen some attitudes in me, and she goes, I just want to have a dialogue with you, just a running dialogue. And um, she comes in. She's come in for about about four months, isn't it? Um, Yeah, about four months, although she broke her leg and and was out for a while. But uh, she she got mad at me last time because she was saying something about faith and having these questions. And I said, well, that's just a cul-de-sac of faith and we don't need to go in there. It's just, just, just ignore that when people bring that up and just let it go. You know what a cul-de-sac is? You're on the main road and you turn off into the main road and there's no outlet and you kind of go around in circles. And, and, then, and then when you come out, you're at the same spot. You spend a lot of time there. I mean, living on a cul-de-sac is awesome, but going into a cul-de-sac thought-wise is not really that great. Um, and then she got kind of mad at me, and she goes, you do that all the time. I have this little issue that I'm worrying about, and I'm all, and I'm all a fretter about it. And you said, well, that, that isn't anything you should be worried about. Just let it go. Just let it go. So here's an example. Um, I, like, I like Art's answer. I'm going to use Art's answer for this. How many of you have ever been in the argument about premillennial ends and post-millennial end of the world and, and Christ coming back. Have you ever been in that argument? I like Art's answer. He's a pan-theologist, not a pre-millennial, right? Say that, say that for me out loud for me. It's a pan, you're a pan-theologist because it'll all pan out. <laughs> um, I, I, now, I'm in the same boat, and I think, and I think you know I agree with you. I agree with you this way because of this reason, because God is yet to ask my opinion on any of it. Well, he hasn't asked my opinion on almost anything yet. I'm always willing to give it, but he just pretty much ignores it. But in, but in this debate, let's say for a second, if I say premillennial, what do, do, does everybody in the room know what that means, or is that just weird lingo? It's weird lingo. Okay, good. Let it remain that. What, what it means is that, that there's going to be this 
millennial reign and before the millennial reign, there's going to be a terrible time, and God, but God's going to come take his people before the terrible time. Yeah. So this is what I think. If you're a post-millennial, which means you get to go through the, t- we, we as Christians would get to go through the tough time, right? That's, that's a very simple explanation for that. Am I right, Art? Post-trib, pre-trib. But let's say for a second that I believe the Bible is post-trib, but God is pre-trib. I'm going before the tribulation, right? Because God's doing it his way. But what if I'm pre-trib and God's post-trib? Then I get to hang out for a while until God does it. How much did my, my opinion matter? Almost nothing. Almost nothing. It, it was hard for me to swallow that it didn't go my way. But that's really between me and God and everybody I went on with my bad opinion. But that's a kind of a cul-de-sac of faith to get in that argument. There's a lot of arguments in faith that are this way to me that, that we have to keep the main thing the main thing. And when we get off in this argument, often all these little side arguments, we're sort of off the beaten path and out of the game. So here we are. Jesus heals 10 lepers, but one comes back. This is the touchstone of how to understand everything else that's going on behind it in the scriptures. Okay? He heals 10, one comes back, and he said, didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine? One of those 10 recognized that God had done something really amazing for him. And he came back, not saying, thank you, Jesus, but praise God. And he fell at Jesus' feet, recognizing him as God. Have any of you been in a spot where you recognize that God has done something really tremendous for you? And it's so tremendous that you need to interrupt whatever's going on in your life and go back and say, praise God and fall at Jesus' feet. I'm one of those. I've I've had at least five of those moments in my life because I was too stupid to turn quick enough to avoid the two by four. And he did something really tremendous in my life. And then I came back and I said, Praise God. And I don't, I don't want to go too far into this, but you guys know that, that I was a wild child. And I recognize now, I'll say it this way, I recognize now that I have a lot to be thankful for because I have a lot to say I'm sorry for. And when you've got a lot to say you're sorry for and then God forgives you, that's not a little thing. Do any of you have that moment in your life where, where you, you fu- well, I came, to, I came to God and I needed to go actually say I was sorry to some people individually. Not all of them, but some of them. I had to seek them out and do that. Now, some of you who've been through AA and something else will, will call that the make reparations or make amends portion of your time, where you recognize that something's been done for you, that you're in a spot you don't deserve, and you want to make amends. Didn't I heal 10? Does everybody that comes to Christ or comes and gets to know Jesus just a little bit, does everybody recognize that big thing done for them? I don't know. 
I would call that the lordship moment where you recognize that he's lord of your life and everything else sort of slips away. Now, I want to go into the rest of this text because this is the, you didn't see that coming portion of the text. One day, I just love this, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs and you won't be able to say, here it is, it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already amongst you. It's not, it doesn't have a geographical border. Did you know that? I know that as Americans, we like to think of this as God's country and all that stuff. Or maybe it's this little valley where everything's fertile in the plain and, and we love that. But the kingdom of God is not a regional, demographically achievable thing. It's not like this. So um, let me say it this way. See this piece of darker green carpet up here? If you can't see it, there's a piece of carpet up here, and it's very functional. It does something on Communion Sunday. It, it keeps the sugar from getting in the carpet, which then collects dirt and all that stuff. But today, it serves a different purpose. Today, everybody that's standing on that piece of carpet is in the kingdom of God. Would you jump up and get over here because that's what it meant? Well, I saw six things, and it had to be this way, and, and they don't smoke, and they don't drink, and, they're, and, they, and they don't go with girls who do. And <laughs> the kingdom of God works so differently that it was completely outside the understanding of what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees thought that the kingdom of God would have a geographic boundary, and they'd be in charge. When you came to Jesus, initially, before you really understood something, did you have some things that you thought you'd get to be in charge of? I did. I didn't understand. I, I, when I was a young believer, I used to pray and be mad at people that they didn't change the way I expected them to. And there was this one man, Carl. Carl was being, um, Carl was being considered for a position and Carl was a very blue-collar guy. And by blue-collar, right, we're talking about work, the style of work they do and all that. And, and he worked a shovel, and he smoked. But he was a neat believer. I just want you to know that he was being considered. And they're going, well, he's, he, we really ought to have somebody that has a better job and is more, fam- you know, more, more cleaned up and all that. And, boy, we can't have that guy in front of us with us when he smokes that weed out there in the parking lot. And I remember saying it this way to them, because I was in the meeting, but not on the board that was having this discussion. I said, you know, I know Carl really well, and Carl is dealing with something that God is working on in his life. And the second that smoking is the biggest issue of his salvation, Carl will deal with it. But until then, will you kindly let God work on the big issue? Right? Will you kindly let God have his prime task in everybody's life? So this is something that I know, is that God is always working on his number one task in somebody's life. Always. It is almost never what I think the number one task ought to be. I know but I have the best eyes in the world, just like you do when you see somebody, they really ought to clean this up. Well, you know, maybe. 
but maybe God's working on something bigger than that in their life right then. And we got to let them do this. The kingdom of God is like this. He doesn't ask our opinion because he's always on his primary task. And we get to join him in that task, not decide what the task is. That's the left, that's kind of a left hook, isn't it? Yeah. So we're doing this. The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. Here's, here's an example from worshiping God. And this is not a music thing. It's just worshiping God. It can't be detected by signs and it can't be analyzed. And the kingdom of God doesn't do this stuff. If I've come to worship God and I've got a burr in my saddle about five things not going my way, did I ever worship? I'm analyzing, it's not going my way, I want this and I want that. It doesn't matter what it is, right? That was last week. The kingdom of God doesn't come. Well, you know, I, I had this really ex- exciting experience, but I just want to test it and make sure it was, that is not the way the kingdom of God works. When you're, when you're analyzed, you can analyze the faith right out of you. Did you know that? And I'm not picking on the analyzers and, because I'm one of you. You didn't know that, did you? Well, I've got a friend that says I leave it in the oven too long. I overcook everything. That's an analyzer, right? Now, I'm not a linear analyzer. I don't do it in an order. I do it in my own way because that's the way my scattered brain works. But yours might be this other way. You know, the kingdom of God comes in relationally and it starts to work its way through the whole batch. And you sit there and go, well, but, but I was really tired and I didn't really mean it. And you sort of analyze yourself out of the kingdom. But when God works in your life, I want you to start to recognize that God's been at work in your life and that he's done something for you that you couldn't do for yourself, and it's bigger than that. Let's get back here for a second. The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on that day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he's going to suffer there, and then he's going to be brought into glory. What he's telling us, that as Jesus' followers, before the glory, what comes? What comes before glory? Suffering suffering or a fall, right? Yes, suffering. Jesus is going to suffer and then be raised to glory. Did you think it would be different for his followers? If we're on the same road that he was on? I, I hate to say, I, I, I don't want to blow the ending, but he wins in the end, right? He, he wins in the end, but until then, maybe it's not going to be perfectly fun and all that. joy of the Lord is upon me. The sounds of life are fabulous. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the day Noah entered his boat, and the flood came and destroyed it all. Well, there was a little bit of warning in Noah's days, right? Noah did go around saying, Something's going to happen, and by the way, I'm building this thing. 
hint, hint. <laughs> That's good. I like it. And it will be in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual. Do you want to get into the discussion about what signs need to happen before Jesus comes? Because I know that I've, I've been in this cul-de-sac. It almost has the words dead end on the sign, right? You've seen that when you, when you turn into a street and it says dead end. I'm glad they've stopped doing that a little bit. It now says no outlet. But it's a dead-end discussion. And the reason it's a dead-end discussion is because this, the kingdom of God is already here and growing amongst us. But when the Son of Man comes, you're not going to have to go see signs and people say this because everybody will know it. Here's this, remember this last line. Just as the gathering of vultures shows that there's a carcass nearby, so will be the signs that indicate that the end is near. Did he say some did he say vultures on somebody that was near dying or a carcass? Carcass. The end is already there. Now the vultures are circling. You want signs? The signs are there because it's already come and gone. But but there's prophecies and we've got to do all the no. God is not bound by that. But what we need to do, instead of getting drawn into all these, all these cul-de-sacs, these rabbit trails, the rabbit hole, I mean, you don't want to be Alice in Wonderland and just have your world destroyed by this one little moment that's, that's completely unrelated to where you're living, is to keep the main thing the main thing, that something's been done for you that's beyond what you could do for yourself, and the Lord who did it and the way it was done is the sign that the visitation of your God has come, that you've had a moment. What did I say? Do you remember what I said about the Bible the other day? This is my Bible. This has five versions in it, but this one's the visible one for you guys, right? There's one of these in the pew. What did I say about the Bible a couple of weeks ago? The whole purpose of the Bible was to bring you into one-on-one -on -one contact with your creator. one-on-one -on -one contact. The whole purpose of this is to be in contact with this God who's done stuff for you. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing, and not get sucked into some of these rabbit trails that just, they end up in being arguments. Uh, I got, I, when I go to annual conference, there's about four of these going on right now, all at the same time in our conference. And here's the deal. This is, this is kind of what God said to me about him. Do you know the battlefield for those are five miles off where we're supposed to be? And just to get to the battlefield means you've left the main track. But somebody else chose the battlefield, and now you're in a Donnybrook out there in the middle of nowhere in left, in, well, that would be right field, in left field. <laughs> you're out in left field. And you had to leave the track, which is let's praise God, follow him, and let him work in his main way on us, in us, through us. 
but there's signs. We got to have signs and wonders. Yes, you are a wonder. God has worked in your life and you're a wonder. Do you need a bigger sign than that? Do you know how you share that sign? It's really simple. You have a friend and you're out talking about something and they, and they go to do something that you used to do, but you don't have any part of it anymore because you've been saved from that or reconciled to not doing that anymore. It used to be fun. You used to be Lot's wife and you go, but I had so much fun doing that. I just want to go back to that. By the way, that's in this text, right? Don't turn around and look to the old life before something was done to you. Don't, you know, the lepers don't look back to when they had leprosy and say, I just wish I had leprosy again. They don't do that, right? When they're healed, they turn and they go, I have a new chance. So when somebody's talking to you, it's like, let that passion and that excitement go, you know, it's not that I don't do that anymore. It's that I don't need to do that anymore. And sometimes he'll give you, well, sometimes God gives me just these really cute statements to say and these little quips and quotes, and, and I just throw them out there as like little barbed hooks for people to, so that we can have discussions later on it. One of them was I was at a golf tournament. I know I just said a golf tournament. I'm desperate for some good weather. <laughs> but but I, I'd had a day. I hit almost every tree on the course. And the ball kept kicking out into the fairway. And the guy goes, well, of course that happens for him. He has a relationship with God. And, and, here's, and here's the hook. Are you ready? Absolutely. I have a relationship with the person in charge of the bounces. You could too. No. Sharing, sharing that you have faith with the person in charge of the bounces isn't that you have, you're in charge of the bounces. It's that you know him. Would you like to introduce? I'll be willing to introduce you. Come meet him. So maybe you have a different way. Go and tell the priests what's been done for you. Because the priests need to see the witness too. Don't forget to praise God for the big thing because something so fabulous has been done in your life. that You need to say, praise God for that moment. It's been done in my life. There's an old song Carmen used to say, but I got I to gotta praise God because he's done stuff for me. Has God's done stuff for you? Then let's keep that the focus. That, that God who has the power to work in your life, who's always on his top priority in your life, too. By the way, just because you came to meet Jesus doesn't mean he's done with priorities in your life. Those of you who've been walking a long time know that he continues to work on priorities in your life. And it's not all peaches and cream and sunshine and lollipops either, is it? I, I just need to come over here for a second and just, you know, Lena is going through one of those non-sunshine and lollipop moments with her family, isn't she? Is God present with you? Yes. 
think that's as good as anything I got. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray, and we'll wrap up. Every hour, Lord, every moment, every day, you are with us. And it's not about the things we do or the signs we show, but that we're focused on that relationship. If we focus on that relationship with you, Lord, we will fall ever deeper in love with you. And if you want to make a change, we'll just let it. Not because somebody said, well, you don't look right or you don't sound right or you're not, you're not in the kingdom of God. You don't stand on the green carpet up front. I don't stand on the green carpet up front either because it doesn't make a big difference. Lord, help us. Move us. Help us know that you are the Lord and that you've done something completely beyond belief in our lives and that we need to turn and say, thank you, God, keep that the main thing and live in light of that relationship and let you work. In your precious name.